God has graciously done everything determinatively that we may make the right decision and choose him every day. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the power of your work in our lives. Today, we're reminded of that inward work of regeneration that Moses speaks about, the circumcision of the heart that you sovereignly bring to bear upon those whom you have ordained to everlasting life. Father, thank you that you not only work inwardly in us, but you have made your commands, your revealed will accessible to us. You've given us everything that we need, a new heart, a clear commandments that we might make the right decision and choose you. Today, remind us of your sovereignty and our response in choosing Jesus. We pray and ask these things in his name. Amen. Now God's word for God's people. We'll be reading chapter 30 of the book of Deuteronomy and you'll find the text printed in your order of worship. And when all these things came upon you, the blessing and the curse, when I have said before you and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you, and return to the Lord your God and your children, and obey his voice in all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you. And from there he will take you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your forefathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord with your God with all your heart and with all your soul, that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us? that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. See, I have set 
before you today, life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in His ways and by keeping His commandments and His statutes and His rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect reviving the soul. And may these words from Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 30, God use them to revive our souls today. Most decisions in life are not a matter of life and death. This morning I chose what to eat for breakfast. But sometimes decisions are a matter of life and death. And in these circumstances, making the right decision is absolutely necessary. In emergencies, first responders, doctors, nurses, oftentimes have to make decisions that will either result in the life of the patient being preserved or the death of the patients. I think of a commander on the battlefield who has to make split-second decisions, and every decision carries with it the potential of his troops surviving or perishing in battle. Some of us may have to make the decision on behalf of a loved one who is at the end of their life not to use extraordinary measures. Oftentimes, we are faced with life and death decisions. And in those defining moments, it is necessary to make the right decision. The greatest life and death decision that anyone will ever make is the life and death decision that has significance in eternity. It is a decision that Moses put before the Israelites as they were standing on the east bank of the Jordan River in Moab, ready to go in and take possession. He said to them, choose life, choose God, or choose death. Either reject God or don't make any choice, which is equivalent to not choosing God. There is no middle ground. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. There is no 
waiting room with regards to this decision. What is interesting, the Bible begins with this decision. God said to Adam in Genesis chapter 2, Adam, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you obey me, you will live. But if you disobey me, if you choose against me, you will die. Adam chose against the Lord. And physical death and spiritual death entered in to human history. And Adam and Eve's offspring, all of mankind, of which we are a part, even today are faced with this very same decision. Choose life and good or choose death and evil. Now the problem that we experience because of Adam's disobedience in the garden, the result of his sin was that his offspring, you and me, are born with a sin nature where Adam had perfect ability and liberty to obey or to disobey God, his sin resulted in that ability to obey God being taken away, being wiped out. We are born without the ability to choose God. And we have no hope unless God acts. And this really is the central message of what Moses in Deuteronomy 30 is telling us, he is encouraging us as he encouraged the people, that new generation poised to take the promised land, that though the ability to obey God was wiped out as a result of Adam's sin, we are born with a sin nature, we are born, as Paul says, dead at our trespasses, yet God has acted to reverse that. God has acted to restore that ability for a sinner to turn and return and choose life and good, choose God. And this is the topic that we will talk about today. In fact, all that Moses has taught in Deuteronomy up to chapter 30 is, is for this moment. In fact, chapter 30, verse 15 is the climactic moment of the entire book of Deuteronomy where Moses sets before the people this life and death decision that echoes in eternity. Choose good and life or choose evil and death. And this same decision, do not let this escape your attention today, this same decision is before us all today. There are three parts to chapter 30. First, the inward renewal. God has worked. He graciously renews our hearts and restores that ability to choose Him. Moses speaks about our hearts being circumcised. That's the first point. The second point is the accessibility of God's Word. Not only has God renewed us inwardly, but he makes his revealed will accessible to us so that we can know how to obey him. And then thirdly, 
as Moses set before the people in his generation a decisive decision. That same decisive decision is set before you and me today. Will we choose life and good or either make no choice or choose death and evil? So we'll begin by looking firstly, God has graciously done everything determinatively that we would make the right decision for him every day by renewing our hearts inwardly and restoring that ability to choose God. I found an old table one time and it was painted black and it was just in bad shape. I took that, that coffee table and I stripped all the paint off of it and I was surprised to find a beautiful, beautiful mahogany table with wood inlay. It was really beautiful. And so I sanded the table, I prepared the surface, I put the right stain on that table and the appropriate finish and stood back and there was a beautifully restored mahogany table. That bad condition of the table was not the end of the story. After restoration, that table had a new life. Nor is it the end of the story for Israel, as they would eventually be in exile. God had a plan to restore them to new life. Moses moved from the present day in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, that was our topic last week, to a future day when Israel is in exile because they violated the covenant, we find this in Deuteronomy 29, 16 through 28, that details the curses that Israel will suffer when they violate the covenant, culminating in exile in a foreign land. So Moses goes to this future day, the people in exile in a foreign land, and, he, and he's telling this new generation that even in that day, that will not be the end of the story for Israel. There is a future of hope and restoration. And this is Moses' topic in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 30. And let me summarize the first five verses of chapter 30. The exiled people will come to their senses. That's a common way of understanding what Moses is saying. All these things will come upon them, that is, all the words of the covenant that the people knew would come upon them as they were in exile in a foreign land. And they will return to the Lord. They will listen to his voice, the text tells us. God will forgive them. He will restore them to the land and he will restore their fortunes to them in the land. This is really hopeful news, not only for that new generation as Moses takes them well into the future, but in later Israel, and especially in later Israel as the people are in exile. Hopeful news of restoration. But I want to make a point here. Israel's decision to return to the Lord is necessary. I referenced Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 earlier where Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
it is necessary that we decide to flee to Jesus. John 3.16, very well-known passage, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Necessary that we exert our will and believe, trust in Jesus as well as turn from our sin. Given man's will being necessary, my question and the significant question for today, is man's will determinative of, let's say, salvation? And Moses' point in Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 10, is to say basically, basically this, though man's exercise of his will is necessary, it is not determinative. God's work of grace inwardly is determinative. And man's exercise of will is a response to what God does inwardly in regeneration. Remember back in chapter 29, verse 4 that we considered last week, Moses said in the middle of recounting the history of God with his people, he says, and by the way, you'll have eyes yet not seeing, ears yet not hearing, in other words, God, you need to rely on God to give you a heart of understanding. Your understanding of his commandments, your understanding of what he's calling you to do as his covenant people is not a function of your ability to physically hear. It is a function of God working in your heart, giving you that heart understanding. And what he said in chapter 29.4, he talks about here in chapter 30 and especially verse 6. Now what is also interesting about this passage in verse 1 here where, where Moses refers to the Israelites coming uh, to their senses, and you shall call them, that is, God's commands, his word spoken to mine. That word mine in the Hebrew actually means heart. It means more than just simply our brain and our ability to think and to reason. It really references the very core of a person. It, it refers to the, the locus of one's thought, the locus of one's volition, emotions, conscience, understanding of what's right and what's wrong. Think of it as just the core of the person, the heart of the person. Thus, verse 1, as well as verse 6, points to the fact that God does supply that heart understanding. that his covenant people may hear his word in their heart, in the core of their being, and respond from that God-given, renewed heart. Moses tells us in verse 6, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, that you may love him. And a companion passage in the prophet of Ezekiel, chapter 36, verses 26 and 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you, get that, and cause you. God is the determining factor and cause you to walk in my statutes. And be careful to obey 
my rules. Do you see it? The exercise of our will is necessary, but God is the one who determines his work. The future restoration of Israel will be determined by God, not by man's decision to return. It will be determined by God inwardly as he circumcises the heart and restores that ability to understand the commands of God, to turn to God, and out of that renewed heart to love God, to obey God. The ability that was wiped out because of Adam's sin that we inherited from him, God graciously restores in his work of circumcising the heart, of regenerating the heart, giving us a new heart, a new nature, where we're able to love him with all of our heart, mind, and soul. J.C. read earlier from 2 Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Well, how, do we, how are we able to walk in him? We're rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. But how do we walk in him? It's because of what Paul says in verses 11 through 13 of Colossians 2. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, Paul says, God made alive together with him, having given us all our trespasses. Through Christ Jesus, we are made alive. We are refinished and restored from the inside out. God's work is determinative. We see this in Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. We are saved by grace through faith. The gift of faith is not our work is the work of God. We have no reason to boast. And then in verse 10, he says, I made you alive in Christ Jesus for good works, for obedience. Obedience flows from God's work of grace in making us alive. God is a God who renews and restores. He takes an old, sinful, filthy, dirty heart and strips it and restores it with grace to a heart that loves God, that desires to obey, that is able to make that decisive decision for God. God has graciously done everything determinative that we would make the necessary right decision for him every day by renewing our hearts and restoring the ability to choose him. And secondly, God has graciously done everything determinative for us to make the right decision for him every day by making his word accessible to us. I remember the first day I was in Hebrew class back in seminary. 
I open that Hebrew Bible, never having hardly seen Hebrew before. I look at that page. I, could, I had no idea what was on that page. And so I was trying to simulate reading by reading like I would read my Bible from left to right, not knowing that in Hebrew it's right to left. I mean, I was totally confused. I did study hard. I did memorize a lot. I learned Hebrew enough to pass the exams. But I've often thought of just how, for the first three weeks of Hebrew class, it, it was like looking at a page where chicken with ink on their little claws had just run all over the place. I was lost. And that's how people are with Scripture. They may be able to say the words. They may be able to put the syntax together. But they're clueless as to the meaning apart from God giving that individual the ability. In fact, there are many scholars, I believe, that know the original languages, that can read Hebrew and Greek, that are experts in the biblical languages, but do not really understand the rudimentary essentials of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are as lost as a person who can't read Hebrew at all. Going back to Deuteronomy 29.4, God, we must rely on God to give us a heart of understanding. That's true if you're a common person like I am or a scholar in the ivory tower. Moses shifts back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 11 through 14, to the present day. The present day of that generation in Moab, ready to cross the Jordan River to take possession of the land. And this, these verses, 11 through 14, are really linked to what Moses taught in the second part of Deuteronomy 29, 29. Not only has God revealed his will for our obedience, but he makes it accessible uh, to us. And the, assess the accessibility of God's word is described in verse 11 as not being too hard. It's not too difficult. It's accessible to all. This is the gist of the meaning of these verses in 11 through 14. Just this past Friday, reading, I usually read the Table Talk devotionals, there is a great paragraph that is about what we're talking about today, the, the accessibility of Scripture. Here's what the Table Talk devotional said. Scripture is indeed for all people, and it is therefore clear to anyone on the essential elements of the gospel and what it means to please God. Scripture's clarity entails the right to read and interpret the Bible as individuals, but since Scripture is God's Word, the right carries with it the duty to handle Scripture responsibly. We are obligated to read Scripture rightly and carefully so that, so that we do not read our own views into the text. And what this statement is about is the doctrine of the perspicuity of Scripture, understood as the see-through ableness of Scripture, the clarity of Scripture. Now, I would just simply say that Scripture is clear to those who have a heart of understanding. But on the one hand, we would affirm that God has clearly spoken. He has perfectly and clearly revealed his will to us. And on the other hand, we would affirm that there are 
passages which are very hard for us to understand. In fact, Peter, 2 Peter 3.16 says there are difficult passages that are hard to understand. The problem is not God is not clear. He is. The problem is finite human beings trying to understand the perfectly clear revelation of God. But given that, the not that we have difficulty with some aspects of Scripture understanding it because of our humanity, those things that are essential for salvation and godliness are clear. A child can understand them as well as an ivory tower scholar. Our confession puts it this way, those things which are necessary to be known, believed, observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and open in some place of Scripture or other that not only to learned, but the unlearned may obtain unto a sufficient understanding of them. The Scriptures are clear, especially with regards to the essentials of the gospel and what God demands for godly living. And so as Moses is speaking about the perspicuity of Scripture, the accessibility of Scripture, he speaks about it in terms of several things. First, God's Word is not too hard. God's Word is not in heaven. And what does he mean by that? God's Word is not too lofty, technical, philosophical, mysterious, beyond comprehension of the common person like you and me, that it takes some especially gifted, qualified individual with, with a whole lot of letters behind his or her name or a pope or a bishop to metaphorically ascend to heaven, grasp the word, understand it, and then bring it back down to the common unlearned people like you and me. Moses is saying God's word is not like that. It is not in heaven. It is not too hard. In 29, 29b, Moses said that the revealed will of God belongs to us and to our children. It is not meant for the top shelf of our theological library. It is not meant for the ivory tower. It is not meant for a select few to understand and then tell the rest of us what it means. It's for you and me. It's for a child. And Moses has already emphasized this in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. The implication is God's word is accessible to everyone, learned and unlearned. Adults and children. Isn't that encouraging to you? It is to me. And then secondly, God's word is not too hard for you. Neither is it beyond the sea. In other words, the purpose of God's revealed will is for our obedience. He's, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29, B. Therefore, it's knowable. It's doable. It's not out of reach. It's not beyond the sea. It's not on Mars. It is not theoretical. It is practical. 
and realistic. It's for our obedience, for our daily obedience. Can't get more practical and realistic than that. Orthodoxy, doctrine, truth is to be lived out practically, orthopraxis. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, God's will is revealed for our obedience. And then jump to the end of chapter 30, verses 19 and 20, just for a moment's point here. We choose life that we may live loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice. The word is accessible. It's for our obedience. It's practical and realistic. It is not beyond the sea. It is not for an elite few in heaven. And it is not far off. It is near. Look at verse 14. Moses reminds them that his revealed will is for them to obey it. And then he tells them that his word is near. The word is in your mouth. And why is the word in your mouth? Why are we able to speak the truth of God's word? It's because first and foremost, God's word is in our hearts. It's in your mouth because it's in your heart. He circumcised the heart. He writes his law on our heart. He gives us a heart of understanding, the heart being the wellspring. We understand the word of God in our heart, and it comes up with truthful words. It's near. The, the word of God is clear and near. If you don't remember anything today, remember that. <laughs> it's clear and near. What a blessing. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 33, as Jeremiah is foretelling of the new covenant, he says this, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. There are things in Scripture that are really hard to understand. But the things that are essential for salvation and for pleasing God, however, are clear and near to us. They are as near our hearts. They are in our hearts and as near. God has not hidden his, the central message of the gospel. It is clear and it is necessary for faith. Paul says in Romans 10, 13 through 15, that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. Every person, trained or untrained, young or old, is able to know how to be saved and to know that they will hear the gospel, the word of the gospel, as part of God's means to save people. God's word is accessible. He's gracious. He's done everything to determine that we can make the right decision. He's renewed our hearts, restored the ability for us to choose him and he's made his word accessible to us we know how to be saved we know how to live to please him therefore god has graciously done everything determinative in our hearts and by making his word accessible that we may make the right decision for him that make that decisive decision come on tim decide 
Renee exclaimed one time, we were at Baskin Robbins. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Baskin Robbins, however many years ago it was formed, 70 or so, while every other ice cream shop had chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry, they had 31 plus flavors. And now they've got like, who knows, 1,300, 1,800, who knows? So I was standing there at the counter with all these choices, and I couldn't make a choice. I was paralyzed. And Renee said, come on, Tim, decide. After a, a rather uncomfortable spans of time, I made a decision. And Renee looked at it and said, you have got to be kidding me. You chose vanilla? I don't know about you, but sometimes there are just too many choices and I can't make a decision. Oh, I wish it were just a matter of vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. It would make life easier. Well, I have good news for you. The most important question we can ever answer, the most important decision that we could ever make is incredibly simple and straightforward. There are just two flavors, chocolate or vanilla. Choose life and good or death and evil. It's just that simple. Moses' teaching throughout Deuteronomy comes to this climactic moment. A decision point now is reached. Decide today, Moses says, to the people. And lest I forget to mention it, that's what he's saying to you and me today. Decide today for God. Verse 15, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. What's interesting again in this passage is that the book of Deuteronomy begins with Moses setting something before the new generation. In chapter 1, verse 8, he set before them the land that they would eventually go in and possess. And now, 30 chapters later, he told them, the only way for you to go in and possess that land that I set before you back in chapter 1 is for you to choose God, to choose life and good, to choose to trust in God and rely on His gracious work. And out of that gracious work to obey him, the choice could not have been simpler for Israel. Vanilla or chocolate, life or death, and it's the same decision before us today and every day. While those who have not experienced God's gracious work inwardly do not have the ability to choose God, they are yet responsible for either making no decision or rejecting him. And their destiny is detailed in verses 17 through 18. But what I want us to focus on today and to see today is what God has done for those whom he has changed inwardly and in so doing has restored the ability to choose him and has made his word accessible to them. Here's the point I want to make. God has done everything determinative for us to respond in making the necessary right decision for him. Our response is rooted in his work of grace.
In verse 16, Moses again calls the people to choose life and good. He describes choosing God as obedience, as loving God, as walking or living in his ways, as keeping his commands and enjoy the blessings of keeping the covenant. Moses calls witnesses down. In verse 19, solid witnesses against Israel to testify about this decision, very significant event as this is a binding agreement the people are making to follow Yahweh. The choice is clear in verse 20. Choose to love God from a renewed heart. Choose to obey God from a renewed heart and from his word being accessible. And then it says, and choose to hold fast to God. And I'm really interested in this this term, hold fast, because it's the same Hebrew word that is used back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, with regards to the covenant of marriage, where the man is to leave his father and mother and cleave, hold fast to his wife. To cleave is to be inseparably connected, commonly to be glued uh, together. And this decisive decision for God is more than just simply a verbal affirmation, yeah, God, I believe in you. No, it's, it's a covenant commitment. It is a cleaving to God. It is as we are holding on to him for dear life, which in reality we are. Because Moses says, hold fast to him. He is your life. We are to believe upon Jesus, cleave to him, walk in his way, obey him with all of our heart and with all of our soul because he's changed us from the inside out and he's made his word accessible to us. There's a point in time where every single person who is in the kingdom of God had to make this decisive decision for the first time. It's called conversion, where God sovereignly changes the heart and the sinner responds by seeing his sin, repenting, and then seeing Jesus and turning to Jesus in faith, saving faith, conversion. Uh, Repentance for the first time is one way that it is said. But the entire Christian life is repenting and believing the entire Christian life, for for those who are saved, it is every day we get up having already made that decisive decision for God, every day we get up making a decisive decision to God, God, today I'm going to hold fast to you. Today I'm going to love you with all my heart, with all my soul. I'm going to obey you with all my heart, with all my soul. I'm going to rely on your grace to enable me to choose life and good over death and evil. Another interesting aspect of this passage, where Moses set before the new generation this decisive choice, one that we are to make every day in a very real sense. The man who took over leadership of Israel from Moses was Joshua. 
And at the very end of Joshua, after all of those years of faithful service, after all of those years of leading God's people in the conquest of the promised land, Joshua, at the end of his life, basically challenges the people with the exact same question his predecessor Moses did in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Joshua set before the people a choice. Choose the gods of the Amorites or choose our God. Joshua 24, 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Make a decision, Joshua says. Don't play around. Rather, the gods of your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This old man, at the end of his life, after faithful service, is still affirming, as for me and my house, he is still making that decision for God. And I would submit to you that we need to do the same every day. Make that decisive decision for God. His work has determined for us. He has renewed our hearts. He has restored the ability for us to choose him. He has made his word accessible. It's clear. It's near. He's done everything that we would make the right decision for him. Therefore, let us choose him every day. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that your word is sufficient. We thank you, O Lord, that your word is clear, that it's near. We thank you, O Lord, for your work of grace in our hearts. O Father, as we think through our need of you, we are, we are reminded that oftentimes we fail you, but you're a God who restores even when we fail to live for you. You are faithful to bring us to repentance and to restore us. And so, Father, I pray that you would enable us to respond to your determinative work by choosing you daily. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.